Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, God. What is happening? Oh, <laughs> Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gen. Oh, I thought. Uh oh. Why? See what Jarvis did there. Welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the Black Science Fiction Society dot com website. This is the July tenth, two thousand fifteen show, and we're having a special panel tonight, uh, talking up with women about their perspectives in uh, science fiction, literature, art, music, all of the, the genres and <clears throat> where, where their perspective differs from um, men. Uh, with me tonight, are, we have four special guests. We have Kenyatta Adams. Hi. Kenise uh, Brooks. Hello. Jarvis. And Jarvis, mute yourself, please. We have uh, Rashida Prelo. Hi. And Ellen Gibson. Hello. Okay, those are our panelists for tonight. We're going to be discussing basically women's perspective in sci-fi. And I think, I mean, the, I think the biggest place to start is I'd like to ask the four of you to, you know, take turns telling where you see, if you see, a difference in, in a male perspective in story construction, in the stories told, and, uh, you know, the difference between men and women. Because it's noticeable to me, but, again, um, I have that Y chromosome, so I'm, we're, we're really interested in hearing what you guys think. So uh, why don't, uh, uh, I, you know, I can't even do the alphabetical thing. I guess that would be, Kenyatta would be first, but Kenyatta, it, if you've noticed a difference and you've noticed a difference in perspective between the way men, uh, male writers, and, and let's stick, it, stick with black writers, uh, black male writers and black female writers uh, tell their stories, um, what would it be? The difference? Um, well, first off, I'm getting complaints from the uh, chat that some people can't hear. And second, I guess if I'm talking about the perspective that um, – uh, what would be the difference? I guess we, me as female, uh, I've noticed that the female body tends to have a weird place in sci-fi when um, when we have a male writer writing for female characters. And with black writers particularly, um, it's, just, it's a really weird, it's, they don't necessarily treat women's bodies and what they're capable of with with the same amount of dignity that they would treat another male body. And with black writers, mm-hmm. with black writers, um, I think we tend to focus more on on stories about people, and our stories tend to be more focused about um, community building or reclaiming of, of community as opposed to a non-African-American perspective where it's about conquest 
or even consequences of conquest. So, so it's more humanistic rather than competitive. Right. And 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 as far as the, the way women are treated by men, you you feel that maybe they're uh, hypersexualized. Well, not just hypersexualized. I like, for example, when the way science fiction handles pregnancy, for example, is is really not necessarily a positive means or a positive projection. Like if you think of Star Trek or any of like the uh, fantasy sci-fi shows where you see the women being forcefully impregnated and or they're having demon babies or any, you know, pregnancy in and of itself and motherhood is a complete, it's a commodity for, you know, drama, for drama or, you know, played up for laughs as opposed to, you know, being treated as a really human and even sometimes sacred situation and thing. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and what about you, Shanice? Um, I have to agree with what Kenyatta was saying because I read a lot of comic books, so and I read a lot of like things that are sci-fi and fantasy. And so, especially when it's like a, a black man in science fiction, a lot of the times when it's a visual kind of thing, they focus on like hypersexualized bodies for women, and that just goes beyond color, that's just for any woman that's in the combo, especially for women right. who are of color. It's very hyper-sexualized. And you can see the clear difference between when it's a male writer and a male artist and a female artist. Like, there's, there's totally different, like, big differences between it. And so it's, it's an interesting thing. And like Kiana said, I just have to agree with. Like, there's just a really big difference about it. As far as writing goes, it's also, I kind of have to agree with what she said, too, with when it's a black writer, I've noticed, too, it's not about conquest. It's always about, well, not always about, but it's always about, like, coming together as a community or trying to make a change for the difference or doing something better. It's not about, oh, we're going to go take over that planet. Very rarely have I seen that from, like, black science fiction or black science fantasy. You know what I'm saying? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, what about you, um, Rashida? Well, yeah, I definitely echo what uh, uh, Kenyatta and Tanisha are saying. Uh, I think, you know, I'm always extremely impressed with how much detail men tend to put into their world building. Um, just the, the amount of depth and thought and, and creativity that they put into like the different species and the different planets and the different areas. But then when it comes down to the actual female characters, they stay, do tend to stay in that um, traditional um, role. You know, they're there for, you know, the, the males you know, gratification or something that he needs for, you know, this specific theme or what have you, or it's there to titillate on the cover, you mm-hmm. know, it, it doesn't tend to, you know, they, they can't kind of push past that and, and make the female equal to the male. And, and, and finally, Ellen, what, what have you noticed? Well, yeah, I, I agree with all the other ladies. Uh, I okay. agree that there is an objectification of women um, in the sci-fi uh, genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also uh, marginalization, and then there's an element that a lot of the um, African-American male writers, they leave out a lot of, of emotional, like the emotional side of like what's going on. Like they could be in danger, but we don't understand, you know, we don't feel what the character is feeling. A lot of the uh, African-American male writers don't really get into, like, a deep, 
POV, like a deep <clears> point <throat> of view of the characters, except for you, William, of course. Yeah, but, I mean, well, I, thank I, you. I, 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 yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> I'm currently reading your novel now. But I, I just really noticed that. It's more like, you know, let's go out there and kick butt, not really like the, the emotional side, like the human side. Like we want to know, like I know as a female reader, I like to know what the character is feeling, what they're thinking, like so I can feel like I'm there with them or I am the character in some aspects. Yeah. And yeah, and that's what missing with a lot of characters like Rashida pointed out, the women are there I guess to serve instead of being an independent character of their own and having their own agenda instead of going right. along with the ma- with the male agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Now, none of you, none of you are really old, you know, older, you know, in terms of well, you're just not older. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but but I I'm wondering <laughs> is is a the, the lack of good writing of female characters and also dealing with issues that that are maybe more humanistic could that just be you know a traditional uh, inexperience that men have generally toward women i mean you know there's a whole lot of, i mean stop and think about all the bad you know guys who walked up to you in a club and said something that was so inappropriate, you just shook your head and go, well, how can you not know that that's insulting to a woman? And so I'm wondering if the, if the divide between sexes is, is the, the main reason for why um, men don't tackle those, those subject areas very well. What do you guys I, think? Any of you can talk. I, go ahead. I think, I think so because even as um, Ellen, I think, was talking about how a lot of males don't, focus on like the emotional side of things in their writing or whatever they're producing. I think that has to go in with how, even as you're raised, men are always told, Hey, don't be all that emotional kind of stuff. While women are told we're emotional. You know what I'm saying? I think that also Mm -hmm. feeds into how we portray ourselves in anything that we do. So a lot of the times when a man writes something like that, or even deals with that and why even now they don't seem to deal with it as we would deal with it. I think it's because of how we're, you know, taught to grow up, how we're taught basically in our, in our world and how we're all supposed to be, you know, stereotyped. So I think that's just bleeding into whatever we do a lot of the time. And it's, a lot, it's really hard to break that when you just hear that over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying? You have to actually make leaps and bounds to get over that sort of stereotyping to, you know, increase the goodness of your work. So that's yeah, what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, I, I agree with, uh, with Denise on, on that note. There definitely is a training there. But I also think it's uh, it's also a money issue, too, okay. in that um, books with, you know, the titillation and the objectification, unfortunately, just like with TV shows, those sell. I mean, perfect example being uh, the paranormal romance that are big right now and the uh, – and the uh, no offense to paranormal romance or anything like that. I love I love paranormal romance myself. But with the mm-hmm. paranormal um, romance, with with uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, all these things, the objectification unfortunately sells. The stories where you're um, the stories where you see women as characters and having stories and lives outside of the male protagonist or the females may be the protagonist. It's only really recently becoming a life that female leads are seen as profitable. Hence your divergence, your 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 mocking jays and your hunger games and those sorts of stories. They're only just being seen as marketable. 
So it's now starting to come out with your Miss Marvel and all of the uh, other female comic series or heroes who are finally getting the spotlight. And so I think it's, it's, it's those two issues that are intertwined. And now we just have to kind of push to get better, more in-depth representation besides what we've got and keep it going. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I agree. But then there's also, um, like you mentioned, uh, Twilight and um, – Divergent, and what is the other one? Hunger Games? Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah, those are all like a YA, I I guess. I consider YA. There's also the characters in those stories, even though I think they're all written by women, they still have an objectification of females, especially Twilight, that whole series. Mm Mm-hmm. She, yes, Bella, the character yeah. Bella, yeah, she well, was in, if you really look at the story, she was in a very abusive relationship. With yeah, the, that's exactly yeah, what both of them, both of yeah. them. Yeah. I was just looking at them as, as just examples of what's popular right now. I said, no way did I say that they were good stories or even no, good no, characters. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I was just mentioning that because we were just talking about how the female characters are displayed, and it's like um, – they make it seem like they kind of glorify these abusive relationships and, like, women are objectified. And have, yeah, and like, it's, it's not it's healthy. Acceptable. Like, don't do that. Sorry, continue. No, <laughs> no, I agree. And then young girls are looking up to this, and I think I was just um, watching, I guess, uh, one of the news channels, and they had, no, it was actually Dr. Phil, and there was a young lady on there. Like, she was, I guess, around the age of people who read these stories, and she was on there because her video went viral for kind of promoting domestic violence, like saying it's okay for her boyfriend to hit her. And I'm, I'm, you know, seeing all these stories out there is kind of, they're promoting that type of lifestyle to young girls. And we as female writers, we we need to write something different. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, that's kind of like two different subjects. I mean, obviously women treat um, I would say treat their creative uh, endeavors differently than men do. They write different kinds of stories. But in terms of things like popular culture, um, entertainment, and television, you know, you have two things going on. First, you you have, for the most part, the money behind it is, you know, from men. Second of all, most of the producers are men. And third of all, mm-hmm. they write it to be popular. And and in order to get the numbers, they have to do certain things. You know, things that we find cheap, tawdry. You know, we've all sat here and talked about how something is was written and it was just BS because they did it for and fill in your own cheesy reason. You know, they did, oh they did it for the money. Oh, they just showed the bosoms for the 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 breasts for the guys. Oh, they just did this. And and the thing is, is you know. When when like when you guys go and all of you craft stories, when you think about stories to tell, I don't think the first thing in your mind is, oh, how am I going to put some breasts in this so I can sell it to men? Yeah, no. hadn't crossed my mind yet. Yeah. Never, never came to mind ever. Never ever. <laughs> Not once. Never ever. And it's it, it's so funny you say that because even when I write a lot of my characters are women, so it's like there's breasts in here, but not in the way that a man, that a man would go, ooh, I want to buy this because it's you know, boobs all over the cover. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, you know, I don't, it's actually hey. funny. You know, it's actually funny. I think it's a men versus women thing here because when I'm writing about women, yes, 
you don't think about breasts. You think, okay, female. Breasts automatically go with yeah. that. You don't think farther than yeah. that. It's just like, it's a thing. Yeah, that's right. That's and, well, I mean, you, you guys don't use, you know, that that kind of thing for marketing or, or to to sustain a story. You know, like in, in a movie, you know, they'll throw a sex scene in because they don't know what else to do. And they yeah. know that they'll get, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so it's like your, your entire focus, your, your entire creative focus is very much different from what we see traditionally from men. And, and so when you put a story together, you know, you, I've talked to all of you. Some do plot first. Some go, oh, I make a great character, and then I build a story around them and things like that. But, again, I don't think – and let's talk books. Let's try to stick with books and stay away from movies because we don't do that many movies. But in terms of books, short stories, uh, comic books, things like that, you're, it, it appears to me that the big difference is you're interested in putting together a good story. And, mm-hmm. and you, you don't use as much artifice to cover up a weakness in the story. You know, like uh, like putting like putting in a sex scene just because it has to be there because that's you don't know what else to do, or or you know as an example in a movie you don't have a car chase or a bunch of explosions to make up for a lack of story, Michael Bay. Um, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, it seems, so it seems like the focus from the beginning, the creative focus is completely different. And and that's what I want I, I want you guys to talk about is you know what is it that drives a story for each of you you know rather than what we would consider you know really cheesy really one dimensional really stereotypical crap that we would see in a movie or on television. Uh, so how are we starting this? You're just going around hmm? again? Oh. Uh, no, no, just yeah, I think you guys go around again. You. You guys, you guys are grown-ass women. You can talk with each other. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I guess for me, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely characters for me because if, you're, if, you, if you've got a good character and a character that's got something they want and somewhere to go, your story right. is pretty much going to write itself. And you're going to make sure that you are crafting a character that your audience is going to care about. Because you care about them. Not necessarily. They might not care about all the same reasons. But at least you will make them real enough that somebody might actually care what happens to them at the end of the day. You lose that and you lose the story altogether. And plus, you know, for me, sci-fi is the way to explore the human condition through allegories that don't necessarily have to be, you know, straight from the heart or straight from home. You know, whether it's talking about colonization on the alien planet or talking about, you know, fixing overpopulation or, or, or combating, you know, injustices, science fiction is the way to do that. And so the main point of these stories are not necessarily all the technology and the flying spaceships. It's the people that are utilizing these things. So for me, it's character. And what about you, Tanise? Yeah, um, I have to agree. Whenever I write, it's usually I focus first on characters, and I, that's what I really build on at first. So as long as I have, like, a good set of characters, I can do a story about them and make it, make it revolve around them, and it's not hard. And then after characters, it's just I try and tackle something that I see in everyday life or make a social comment about it in the story. So it's, 
it's not always about, oh, hey, this is a futuristic something in other nodes. I try to dig deeper and try and push that in there too because that's what I like to make those commentaries because I, I like to observe things and I like to, you know, kind of voice that but in a cool kind of, hey, this is a fantasy story, but it's talking about something that, hey, that you can relate to. So as long as we, I have, like, re relatable characters and something that people can relate to, I it's all good for me. And that's what I have to do with Kenyatta. That's what I do a lot, too, with just starting with characters and just, you know, focusing on that. And if I get a cool kind of world out of it, hey, bonus points. So yep. that's how I do it. And Rashida, what about you? Um, I think I do a mixture of character and the world. Um, I, I think I always start with a, a question of what haven't I seen already? Uh, and um, I'll go, I'll maybe list a couple of things. I haven't seen this and I haven't seen that, and then I'll pick one. I'll say, well, okay, so if this is the, the world that we're living in, what kind of character would be interesting, most interesting here? Um, so I, I kind of do a mixture of, of the two. Um, and that way, I think I think they feed off of each other. Um, you know, like, so what, what's interesting about, you know, the Hunger Games? You have a bunch of kids in that's on television. And I think that's, right. um, that's something that works really, really well. You know, this is the world. And these are the characters in that world. Um, uh -huh. So that's kind of how I, I do things personally. And, and Ellen, do you do you start with the characters first or the plot first? Um, I usually, I guess, um, start with, I guess, an idea, a question that I would have, and then start building the story and just throw the characters in. I usually have, like, a set of characters already developed just waiting for a story. So to to make it come together, I I guess I'll say like, oh, what would happen if this you know happened, or if the world was this way, and then um, trying to craft a story to it, and then add the characters in it, and then the characters will give it more life because you're seeing it from their perspective, like how would this person react if this happened? Um, if they were sent off on this planet and they couldn't get home, how would they feel about that? And then the story would, I guess. Uh, write itself in there. Yeah, and, you know, not to take anything away from you guys at all, because all of you sound like you're doing... I mean, I've read some of the stuff, but, I, you know, for me, it's completely different. I come up with a, a story idea and then an ending, especially the ending, and then and then I, I just dump in characters as I need them. Um, but I don't... Well, I hope that I hope that my character. I think my characters are three dimensional, and it, that seems to be very important to you guys too, because it's the relationships to the, you know, between the characters that I think drives most of your work. And I think that that's probably. I don't think it's it's too much to think that that is. Not you know a, a sexual characteristic or a gender characteristic rather. Um, because all of you have said, you know, that, that the characters rule and what they do is what drives the story. Um, when, when you talk about doing character development, um, do you think of your main character first, build that person up, and then kind of decide how they might work in the story? I mean, let's start with you this time, Ellen, because you, you said you, you start with an idea. So if you have mm -hmm. your idea, 
how do you how do you get your characters? Do you think in terms of who's going to be the main character that's going to drive the story? Um, the idea. I'll just make an example, like the idea of saying being uh, stranded on a distant planet. Right. Um, yeah. And then. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think Go about ahead. the yeah the storyline, <clears throat> like the what would be going on, and then what type of character would I would the character be male or female? Would they be older, or younger? Um. And, like, how would that work best with what's going on around them? And then that's how I would come up with the character. Uh, like, which one of them? Like I, like I said, I already have, like, characters in my head that I've already been playing around with and developing. So I would like, which character would go best with this story? Mm-hmm. And insert them into the situation and see how they would react to what's going on. And, and Rashida, you've done... You've done uh, it, it, excuse me for not remembering, but you've done at least one book. Right. When you when you start that when you started that story, mm-hmm. you know, was it was it completely character driven? Did you say, okay, this is so and so, and I like who she is. I build her up, and then let's see where the story takes it. Or did you also have kind of like an idea, like Ellen did? Well, yeah, I, I definitely had an idea first, and it went through several first and second and third attempts. Uh-huh. Um, I think I always find it kind of, I think it's kind of scary to start out with the ending because I feel like if I start knowing the ending, I'm not going to allow my mind to think of something else. Or um, read all the so, way through the book. <laughs> I always try to, um, I always try to just leave the ending. I don't, I'll, I'll say I don't know what's going to happen at the end until at least halfway to three-quarters of the way through. Um, wow. But yeah, but, yeah, I'll start with this character, and I'll have to give the character a flaw. That's that's the, the main thing. The character has to have a flaw that has to get okay. fixed by the end of the book. And so it's that uh, literary device where the, the ending is the, the polar opposite of the beginning. Not Not totally, but there's something that changes in the character. And so at first I'll know exactly what it is that's got to change about that character, and that kind of helps me push push her to the end. The things that she goes through makes her that way. Uh-huh. I, I joke with, with her because uh, she revealed to me, Rashida <laughs> revealed to me, that uh, she'll read about halfway through a book, and then if she gets tired of it or wants to know what's going to go on later, she will jump to the end. <laughs> I, I'll do that. <laughs> She missed out on a great sex scene in Discovery. That's all I got to say. Um, okay. So, um, and and to, and Denise, what is it? I mean, when when you create your characters, do you do you have that storyline kind of laid out, or or do you let the characters kind of determine where you're going? Um, some it depends on the story because sometimes I won't have any idea what I want to do. But at other times, I'll be working with these characters, and all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, I want to explore such and such and such for these characters because I was working on them for so long, and I want to delve into maybe their background or maybe how they grew up or where, how their mindset kind of affects what's happening there. So a lot of times, that character is kind of feed off me and give me like, hey, let's work on this with this character since this is, what I, this is the idea I got from them. So mm-hmm. that's how I get stories a lot of the time. I don't have just a, oh, hey, I want to write a story about a science fiction you know, something or another, I just focus on characters, and from there, that's how I get my plots and everything. So it's it's solely characters for me, basically. It's how I start everything off. So Right. 
And, and Kenyatta, what about you? Uh, for me, uh, I, I, I like to um, start off with questions. So I do love my characters, but usually, usually when I'm planning a story and characters out, I'm usually asking myself, so in my real job, in my day job, I'm a biologist. So, of course, i got to have my questions. So I might be like, hmm, let's, you know, some question pops up, like Rashida and even Denise said. Some question pops up, and you're like, okay, okay, that's something fun to explore. Let's explore this. Okay, what character would best fit this? Would they be young? Would they be old? You know, where would you get a, get a good chance to sort of fill that question out and answer all the facets of that question? And that's where the character, or at least the basics of the characters come out. And then... On top of that, you know, I give them their quirks and their flaws, and and um, I just add things to them that I think will be assets, but they can also be hindrances, which is oftentimes fun when you're thinking of a trait for a person. So, like, mm-hmm. for one of my main characters in the novel that I'm working on, she wants to be a scientist, and so she's curious, so she wants to explore everything, but, of course, that leads her to trouble because in the major point in the book, she's stuck in the middle of cliffs looking at cliff markings in the middle of a firefight. So curiosity, yes, is a great thing because, you know, she's learned to make her own watches and all this other stuff from scrap that she's found. But now it lands her in trouble because she's out in the middle of nowhere doing things because she's okay. curious about what is there. Right. So and, and that, that trains and, different problems. And it's, and it's easier for you to write from your personal perspective because it's, it's kind of a discipline that you feel – you 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 know well and you control it well in your writing. Right, right, yes, yes. And it just fits better with my brain, and, you know, writing from a, a point of questions because it's like, cause that's what I do all day. I'm answering questions. So mm-hmm. it's easy for me to ask a question and then go, okay, what will fit? What, can, what kind of stories can I tell? So going through the sort of 20 questions game, I get a whole story idea out of them. And it also just helps me to kind of continue a story when I get stuck. I've had two whole characters pop up simply because I ask questions like, okay, what can fit with this character? How are we going to do this? What's the connection for this? And you realize there's a hole there that needs to be filled, so you fill it. Wow. Okay. Um, let's let's switch gears a little bit, and uh, I'll start in the middle of the group because, uh, uh, Rashida, I'd like to know, you know, as you were growing up and the kind of reading that you did, I mean, obviously you're drawn to speculative fiction, whether it be sci-fi, fantasy, or horror, but, but what were the influences that, that happened early in life that, that, get, that drove you to want to create in speculative fiction? Uh, well, you know, I had a, I have an older brother, and, um, you know, the big guy gets the remote to the television, so it was pretty much science fiction, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, those types of things. Um, any, you know, he was old, any, any VHSs that we got, that's how old I am, would be geared towards, you know, the science fiction. And, of course, he had comic books and, you know, music and these types of things. And so sci-fi and speculative fiction was always part of my consciousness. Uh-huh. Um, but when it came down to, like, the books that I actually read, those books would come, like, from, like, my mom and my sister, and so those books were more romance-geared. And so um, I guess just growing up, I had just both this, the, the speculative fiction and the romance um, influences, like, just in my brain and, and as a part of my consciousness, um, historical romances mainly. Um, so that's kind of what 
deeply influences the my actual writing style. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and tell people just a little bit about um, what you've already written. Uh, yes. Yeah, so well, I started out uh, with a, a science fiction romance series, um, which, of course, you know, you have your leading black female characters who are put in uh, very um, strenuous circumstances in the future. And, and it's kind of like uh, one, one lady already said, you know, you, you're exploring social and uh, situations in the human condition in, like, futuristic settings uh, just to, I guess, kind of understand it a little bit better. Um, and so that's what, uh, you know, that whole series is about. It's just about, you know, these two women who are, you know, messed over by the system and how they they, they try to work and, and struggle to get free. Uh, and I've also done uh, a paranormal mystery, um, which, uh, is, you know, it, it, even though it's a paranormal mystery, it kind of explores, you know, Southern traditions and the way Southerners behave um, and you put, you know, ghosts uh, in a situation with living people, and you know how they how they try to coexist and, and live together. Um, and then I, I started a new horror series last year, um, which mm-hmm. pretty much uh, delves more into my my Gullah heritage. Um, I didn't really identify as Gullah until I was like in my twenties because I didn't know much about it. Um, as you know, Gullah are from South Carolina or the, the Sea Islands, and most people kind of migrated up north to, like, New York or D.C. or what have you and uh-huh. kind of forgot about these things. And so uh, even though as uh, the everlasting, is, you know, it's said on this, um, it's about it's a, it's a horror story. It's really trying to <clears throat> pull back to my, you know, the roots that I didn't really know I had until I was a lot older. So. Okay, and, and then you know it's it's kind of equal parts. Oh, I was exposed to this, and equal parts. Well, this is kind of what interests me. Which I, I guess that's probably most of us. What about you, Ellen? Who, who who and what were your influences to that that brought you to this you know the speculative fiction genre? Um. Probably most of my influence was the movies I watched growing up. Like, my family had to see every, like, new movie, Independence Day, Terminator, RoboCop. Like, that that's what my parents, like, generally like, that those type of movies. So, like, any type mm-hmm. of action, you know, those sci-fi actions and all the Jason and Freddy movies. Like, we went to the theater and saw all of those growing up. Uh, so that's, like, my main influence with um, sci-fi. Um through pro- mostly movies, like the books I read were like the classics, like Great Expectations and Treasure Island as a kid. So most of my sci-fi influences from what I saw on the screen. So when I write, I try to I try to write it more like in a, a movie style, kind of more visual. Um, right. Yeah, so you can kind of see and understand what I'm trying to display. Mhm. And and I mean. You didn't really read like you didn't have a big science fiction reading background. No, because I, I mean, when I read like the science fiction that I read like in school, I couldn't really relate to it until probably later in life. I kind of started finding people, and I was introduced to Octavia Butler in college. I didn't even, you know, know that we had black science fiction to be honest. 
So science fiction was more like a movie thing for me because I felt like, you know, I didn't know that there was any black science fiction writers out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, I mean, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, finding out that we had, uh, that there were people like me who wrote science fiction kind of made me more interested in the subject. And I feel like a lot of African-American people aren't interested in it because <clears throat> they don't see themselves in it. They can't relate to it. They can relate to Boys in the Hood on TV or maybe, you know, a scandal or something that they see other African-Americans in. But if we don't see ourselves in sci-fi, stuff as, you know, the the sidekick or the guy that gets killed in the first 10 minutes of the movie, we don't, you know, it's not appealing to a lot of African-Americans. I, You know, that's my opinion. Well, no, it's true because, I mean, look at all the fuss everybody made about, uh, what's his name, malt liquor guy playing Lando Calrissian in uh, in Star Wars. You know, he was a, a dashing, swashbuckling type hero, and he was in, you know, probably one of the 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 most notable series out there. You know, not like Yafik Koto, who got eaten by a bug in uh, Aliens right away, you know. Most right. of the time, I think that we were seeing, I think most of the black actors in sci-fi were wearing red jerseys, um, if I'm not mistaken, you know, or let's say, and and died within the first six minutes at least of a TV show and probably, you know, before the first climax in a, in a, in a movie. And, um, right. So, so you're right about not seeing people like us in that. And, mm-hmm. and of course the joke was, and still is, well, you know, that's the future and they ain't planning on having us around. Right. So we got to yeah. write ourselves in the future. We can't depend yeah. on other people to, because they're going to write the future that they want to see. So we have to write ourselves where, you know, we want to see ourselves. Well, that's true. And I'm not going anywhere. So somebody better have a book about a half black, half Japanese lesbian living in a man's body. Because I'd like to see science fiction that reflects my people. Um, anyway, um, Tanise, what about you? When what, what kinds of things influenced you in this direction? Um, well, growing up, my dad was really into, like, just everything. He was the one that got me into, like, comics and just, things in general, but growing up, I was kind of the black sheep in my family because I, I was the first grandchild, but I was also the, probably the nerdiest grandchild my, my family had ever seen. So a lot of the stuff that I that put me onto science fiction and fantasy, I kind of just stumbled on my own. Being a night owl, I stayed up really late and started watching things like Gargoyles, and then I stumbled onto Static Shock, and then I found Milestone, and then all this other craziness happened, and then that's what just pushed me to this direction, is this I kind of stumbled on things by myself and was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea this existed. I need to find out more about it. And just, you know, digging into that and just researching and then watching everything or reading everything, I was like, that's what pushed me towards this. So I kind of – I found all this stuff at a young age. So it's – that's what pushed me to get into this, basically. Mm -hmm. And and it was exciting to you, right, because it was the future or – you know, a future, a different view of the future? Um, Yeah, a little bit, because even when I was younger, like, seeing, like, for example, I loved Static Shock, and I was like, there's a there's a black person who's a superhero who I can totally relate to. I hope this becomes a thing that happens more. It kind of did, kind of didn't, but as a kid, 
that made me super excited because I'm like, I want to make my own superhero. I want my superhero to be on TV, you know, that type of thing. Or I want my mm-hmm. weird alien things to be on TV because I, I watched all these science fiction movies and fantasy movies because of my dad. So it just, it just fed into me of, hey, I want to do that in the future, and that's what propelled me forward as a kid. Yeah. And, and Kenyatta, you're, you're, I mean, you've got a science background. You approach a lot of stuff um, like a scientist, and there are a ton a ton of scientists out there, as a matter of fact, uh, who, who are into sci- sci-fi, and, and some of them write. A lot of them write. You know, uh, there's a, a, a higher percentage of science guys who write science fiction than probably any other identifiable genre. Um, did that have an influence for you, or were you, you know, did you read? Did you watch the movies? Was it TV shows? Um, what what was your influence that moved you into science fiction or speculative fiction? Um, for me, it I, I I always loved science, so yes, that was there. And of course, who doesn't love robots and everything else? Um, I think the first real sci-fi series that I kept up with religiously was Animorphs when Animorphs were a thing oh. uh, back in the '90s during the Scholastic period. And uh, I really enjoyed those books and just the way K.A. Applegate discussed um, science and the different ways she, she contrived different races and how she handled their stories. Because, I mean, in a lot of ways, sometimes they were subversive. Like in the animal series, there were these one race of aliens called Hook Badgers. And they had all these axes and, you know, blades all over their bodies. And the bad guys used them as a sort of, you know, killing machine, you know, cutting down whatever. When, truth be told, when you actually discover the story of the hook badgers, they're vegetarians. The only reason they have, you know, blades on their bodies is to cut bark off of trees, which they like to eat. And so that just kind of blew my mind that playing with these different perspectives could allow several different narratives to be told, but not necessarily the whole story. And then as Mm -hmm. I grew up... Uh, I, I as I grew up, I stumbled onto I like to write poetry and things, but then I stumbled on the fan fiction, which opened up a whole nother can of worms for me, and that's what finally pushed me into writing. And then so my science background and my love of questions and writing and stories, they all kind of came together in this one spot because I can take all sorts of things and play with them there for as little or as long as I want to, and I can do those same sorts of subversive um, narratives and perspectives and ideas. So that's, that's and so, pretty much what – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, that's what I, I was just going to say. That's kind of the type of things and thought process that sort of drove me towards me, speculative fiction and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, and I got this, lucky. And, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. I mean, you know, you it, it, from from what I've heard, in you know, in discussion with you is that, that you know, when you ask the question – more often than not, the question is one of logic or science or, you know, something along that line. Um, do, do you find it more gratifying to be able to write in the genre of kind of where you are today and, and to be able to, to kind of incorporate that in? And does that make it easier for you or does it make it harder? Because you know as well as I do, most sci-fi writers don't know jack about science. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, uh, it does make it easier. In a lot of ways, it does make it harder. Um, I like being able to write about science and write about science in a creative way. Uh, I do mm-hmm. enjoy doing that. Um, 
some people would be turned off by using science and figures because you have to, you know, spend your time making sure that everything that you write in your story can pan out at least plausibly. <clears throat> right. But I actually like working within those constraints because from the writer's perspective, it gives me a lot of places to play off of without necessarily having to create a whole bunch of unnecessary drama, you know, that, that doesn't go anywhere, although having to, you know, defer to one of those random sex scenes that really serves no point. Right. Um, because you you can work so like in my Nexus Nomad series which I started, uh, one of the things is that the spaceships that humans have devised, you know, fly just below the speed of light. So it still takes years to get from one place to another. So sure, working out the physics might be a pain in the butt, but for my characters it makes getting off of that planet that much more of a dire need because it might be 350 years before another, you know, another ship comes around. They'll be long mm-hmm. dead by then. So it gives, well, it gives my characters a sense of urgency when you have to play off the science. So you don't necessarily have to incorporate or create drama. The drama can just exist just simply because the world exists and that's how it is. Yeah, but, you know, one of the things that really bothers me about science fiction, whether it be books, comics, or movies, is the fact when something is so egregiously wrong, it pulls you out completely out of the story. Yes, you know? I can agree with that too. Uh-huh. Where you're just like, you're just like, wait a minute, that that is not even physically remotely possible. <laughs> and it's even worse when you're a biologist because you go, there's no way that would work because your ribs will collapse way before that even happened. <laughs> but well, yeah, and, and I think in, uh, the biggest, the most egregious one that I find is right up your alley in biology. You know, every one of these sci-fi stories that deals with clones, they make uh, clones that are fully grown. You can't make a clone that's fully grown. You can make a duplicate. And and so, you know, they, when, and when even something then, like that... even then, it wouldn't even be useful. It would have the mind of an infant. The, the way exactly. the brain develops, it's, it's, it's the way the brain develops, it would be impossible for it to just suddenly spread out a clone that can move and act and behave. I mean, sure, I guess you could get it to, you could teach it some things via muscle memory, but you literally have to walk it around like a dog on a leash because other than outside of an order, it can't think for itself. It's, see, it's, everybody, it's, see what a scientist she is? See there? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, you know, in, in certain ways, though, you know, using real science obviously enhances the story. Um, a bunch of guys out at... Uh, Batavia, where they have the uh, the accelerator, they have a science group out at the uh, Fermi Labs out there, and they read they read Discovery, so they invited me out, and there was like twelve people who had read Discovery, and I was there for a book meeting, and and these are like hardcore science guys, and and I will tell you that I lived in fear when I wrote that first book that I would get something wrong, and somebody would you know post it up on Amazon or a blog post or something going. This Hayashi guy doesn't know nothing, you know, or or whatever. It's it's kind of like the Tom Clancy military nuts who go, oh, that gun doesn't even fire that bullet, you know, and, and they they have such contempt because an error like that, a glaring error like that, pulls people out of the story. So that's one of the things that I always live in fear of, you know, that that I'll do something screw screwy like that, or like say women have the Y chromosome and men have the X chromosome, and then somebody goes, "What is wrong with this guy? You know, he's got a right. Japanese last name. You would think you'd be smarter than that, you know." And so that's that's yeah. the last thing I want to hear. So, so I mean, I know that you can over 
um, over-research because I think that's what I have a tendency to do. But on the other hand, getting it wrong can can be very damaging. So yes, I yes, think yes. yeah. So okay, now when you guys, um, you know, we talk about the influences. Um, none none of you really talked about authors very much, and you know, we we and I, I'm not I'm not saying that's good or bad. But it's funny because every darn place I go when we talk about Afrofuturism, speculative fiction, if I'm on a panel, this, that, or the other thing, there are two names that always come up. What are the two names? You guys know both of them. Okay. Uh, Tavia Butler is one of them. Uh, Tavia Butler, I know, is one. I can't think of the other one, though. Yeah. Samuel Delaney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have any of you read either of them? I've read I'm reading Arcadia yeah. right now. Yeah, I've read some of her short stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm just wondering because you know everybody throws those names at people like us, people like you, people like me. They go, well, you know, Octavia Butler this, Octavia Butler that, and uh, oh, Samuel Delaney. Samuel Delaney doesn't even talk about his books anymore. All he talks about is being gay in Paris. I swear yeah. to you, I went to the University of Chicago and he actually announced. Before, I mean, there was like 200 people there, and he announced before, announced right at the beginning. He says, "I hope none of you are here to hear me talk about my books because I'm really tired of talking about my books. But I would like to tell you about my experiences growing up." Yeah. So it I mean, you, can, you know, that's kind of. I'm hard. sorry. Yeah. Um, for me, unfortunately, uh, for me, growing up, um. I really didn't, it really took me a long time, like, till I got to college before I really got steeped in um, exactly how much, uh, how many African Americans were in all of the stuff that I liked, because all that I saw growing up was white, so you got your Isaac Asimov's and, you know, those stories, but that's really all I saw. The first time I ever heard Octavia Butler's name was I read it off of a poster for a symposium <laughs> someone was having as an undergrad. What is, what is that? I'm sorry, I had that, to kill a, a goat. I had, I'm, no, I had to sacrifice a goat because we kept mentioning Octavia <laughs> Butler's name. So, um, <laughs> yes, it's, oh, no. It's busy in my oh, house. Yes, Dave. <laughs> Uh, no, that was a, oh, that God. was that was just a bad fan. I did not kill a goat. I don't want anybody reporting me oh. to the ASPCA. As a matter of fact, I started my own chapter, my own chapter in my neighborhood of PETA, um, which oh, stands no. for people people eating tasty animals, and uh, we're doing oh, we're doing yeah. quite well. Oh yeah. All right. So, but but to your point uh, about the supposedly the golden age of science fiction. You know, the golden age of science fiction was nothing but um, white authors, you know? Um, Right. So, you know, for me, Asimov, Herbert, uh, Clark, um, all of them, I I read all of that. I read, and I'm not trying to brag, but I read everything that came out of the golden age, Heinlein, everybody, and that's what I grew up on. And then, then you know, one of the coolest things I saw, I thought, and I, uh, like Johnny Quest was a big cartoon for me. Uh, and that was basically yeah. a sci-fi cartoon. And yeah. it actually had somebody who wasn't white. Um, 
which which was kind of remarkable. It was it was very forward thinking for the for the uh, that was the sixties. So mm-hmm. you know th- those were the kinds of things that were my influences. And then when you look at comic books, <laughs> there weren't as many nearly as many independents as there were. Obviously, it was a, a Marvel and DC world, and I didn't even consider comic books really sci-fi because for me, science fiction came out of books. You know, my dad had hundreds of books, and um, and so those were my influences. And and I wonder. I know that I write, I think what's called hard science science fiction because it actually has the science in it. But I also I also want I'm like um, you guys. I want my characters to drive the story. So, it I but I I think that the the reason why I choose both or I'm able to encompass both or both are influences is because I came to writing so late. I only started writing in 2001, so it wasn't so much, oh my dad likes science fiction. Oh, these are the, the golden years guys, the golden age of science fiction guys. I want to write just like them. Um, I think it was more about you know my my writing probably is more grounded in social justice, which is just almost like an offshoot about you guys when you talk about community and when you talk about, you know, the way people solve problems. Um, mine, is, mine is basically, um, you know, anger and rage. And, and that brings me to the question of, you know, you guys are women um, from what I can tell. And, and this is not, it's still not a women friendly society that we're we're in. You know, there there are all kinds of things going on. I mean, you look at the big political issues, uh, equal pay, stuff like that. You look at, you know, all these old-ass white men who are busy trying to control your uterus, um, and, and these same busy-ass white men who are trying to control your uterus are also trying to decriminalize rape. So what kind of sick stuff is that? But it's still, it's still kind of a hostile or not as friendly venue you know, this culture for women. And and when you write, is part of that, you know, that lack in our culture a part of what you write about? You know, are you driven by those kinds of issues in, in the stories that you put together? Um, I'm driven by trying to make characters that I can relate to. Like I said earlier, watching sci-fi and not being able being able to see someone like me and it that that's what drives me that's what made me want to become a writer because I've, i used to be an avid reader like as a, a little child i used to read like tons of books per month and win the scholastic thing every month in my class and it, mm-hmm. i just could I, I never saw people like me i mean i never read about people like me in the books and that's that's what made me want to want to write like create my own world create worlds of people that I've interacted with, people that I know so that they can see themselves and create a, a new reality for themselves. Like we were talking earlier, they have a future without us in it. We need to create a future with us in it. And and so the the issues of today are not so prevalent or don't drive your the stories that you create so much, right? No, not for me. Yeah, what about the rest of you guys? Um, for um, me. Wait, did I cut somebody else? No, no, you can go, Kenyatta. I'll go next. <laughs> okay. 
Um, for me, it's um, it's it's kind of a bit of both. Um, I definitely want to see people like like me and who who I am um, represented, as well as um, sometimes I just like to. I use writing as sort of a way to help me sort of work out how I feel about certain things or or to play with certain ideas that I don't necessarily have experience of myself. So the characters that I create, they're sort of they're they're sort of the variables that I'm, you know, running these questions through to try and figure out, you know, what does this look like and what could things look like and could, you know, what can we do with relationships, what constitutes relationships you know, how and why. And so I, I I look at it more from the social perspective. So, yes, I do think about things like, you know, the unjustified killing by police officers and and, and uh, social justice issues and things like that and poverty. Um, but I, I, I try to sort of put myself in other people's shoes through my characters, you know, and and and, and sort of treat them as people and seeing what kind of, what kind of worlds and situations kind of unfold from those things? Um, it's a niche. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine's a little bit of a little bit of both. Um, I don't. Sometimes I like to make commentary about what's happening, but a lot of times I try to stay focused on what's really important to me at the point in that moment. And really, I grew up seeing a lot of like negativity on TV, a lot of especially for like black women where we can't come together as a positive thing for some reason and I'm not saying that about everybody but a lot of time in black media mm-hmm. black women don't get along or whatever for whatever reason or we're always taught to you know be at each other's throats when that's not the case so a lot of the times when I'm writing and I'm dealing with my characters I'm focusing on more of um what's what the social aspects of a, hey we can work together or hey this is how things should not think how things should be but there's another take on how you can view something like this and I, that's what I tend to focus on, like community and things of that nature. Sometimes it might, I might drift into things of what's happening in our world right now, but other than that, I try and focus on people being people and just, you know, humanity, I suppose. That's, I, not, not to sound big and fancy, but that's kind of what I want to focus on a lot of the time, just people uh-huh. trying to be more empathetic and understanding people. So that's what I try to focus on a lot of the times, and that's what kind of feeds into my writing. Yeah, and Rashida, what about you? I mean, um, are there are there bigger issues that you integrate into your writing, or or are your stories more just basically character driven? Um, I mean, what what kind of issues do you surround your stories with, or embed in your stories? I guess that's a better way to put it. Um, I think uh, I definitely am aware of um, the struggles of being female and black. Um, in America. I don't okay. necessarily put that in the book, you know, I'm a black female and it's hard for me, you know. But I think I try to maybe put a lot of the, the, the struggle surreptitiously in there, um, especially since, it's, you know, if I'm, if I'm dealing with, you know, ghosts and people, you know, you can, I can substitute it for, you know, minorities and majorities. Um, or from, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think to me it's very important when I'm writing a character that the character is relatable and it, it's a person. Um, I think I think one of the hardest things to do when you're going from college to the corporate world or the real world is to realize that when people look at you, they're not seeing a person. 
um, not all people, you know, but a, a good majority of people um, will, you know, they, they don't see, you know, an individual who has thoughts and feelings, you know, they don't see that. And, I mean, you know, you can see over and over and over again in YouTube people doing these social experiments, you know, a black person asks for money from a stranger, and then a white person asks for money from a stranger, which is, you know, they're very simplistic, you know, um, examples. But, yeah, these things these things do happen, and I think, you know, you can see it more so in my early work, you know, mm-hmm. the, the struggle and the frustration of it, um, becoming aware of it was hard. Because, you know, I'd always, I'd always see myself as being like, oh, I'm very smart, you know. I'm just going to get out there and <laughs> people are going to just love me, you know, because I'm so brilliant. Um, but well, it, yeah, and if, you, and if you lived here in Chicago, you know, as an author, and if you were black up until a few years ago, you were going to write your book, you were going to hand it to Oprah, and then Oprah was going <laughs> to open up your life for you. <laughs> That's I the dream, right? Every, Every black author in Chicago that I talked to said the same thing. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get my book to Oprah, and she's going to put it in her book club, and then I'm on easy street. And, uh, you know, expectations, yeah. Um, uh, Hang on a second, ladies. You're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the Black Science Fiction Society website. Log in, get your friends to come in. There's a lot of good content there for those of you who are just picking this up as a podcast or have not checked out the site. Um, We're having a panel discussion for July 10th, 2015, and the special guests tonight are Ellen Gibson, uh, Rashida Prelo, Denise Brooks, and Kenyatta Adams. And I feel feel awfully privileged to, uh, to be at least talking to all of you all at one time because... Um, you know, there's a there's a certain idea that I have about black speculative fiction. Okay, Afrofuturism, I guess, is the uh, the the word of the <clears throat> the moment we were speaking with Yatasha uh, Womack last week about Afrofuturism. But as far as a genre, it, it appears that it's picking up a little more recognition in mainstream America. And and to be honest, the ideas coming out of the the black speculative fiction movement, the Afrofuturism movement, are are creative ideas that have not been seen in mainstream culture. Um, so when when we think of in terms of writing our stories, do any of you think in terms of the commercial viability of what you're writing? Is it something that's going to sell? Um, how how do you how do you guys look at you know where your where your financial potential might be as as a black creative and Ellen let's start with you. Um, yeah, it it comes to mind, but um, I don't want it to control my whole creative process. Right. Um. So you kind of focus on it. Um, after and the end result of what you're trying to put together. If you want to write something that the fans and the readers are going to enjoy to read, right. it's not going to be boring and dull, but then you also don't want to turn over your um, turn over your project to t- trying to please the masses and trying to make sales and things like that. Because if you're writing something good and interesting, um, people will want to 
see see what it is. They will want to, um, like if it's a movie or a novel, people will want to read it. And word of mouth helps with <laughs> that. It's not really a process of kind of crafting, like you said, adding sex scenes to stories and things just uh, for, I guess, a, a shock factor. Um, it, I, my process doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you, Kenyatta? Uh, yes, I'm pretty much on the same boat as as uh, Ellen. I'm not necessarily looking to, you know, be able to finance my life, you know, off of writing. If it comes to that, great. But um, yeah, I'm 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 looking to just write a good story and a story that I'm proud of. And you know, the characters that I put out there, I'm sure that you know people who may not have seen them. And and I guess one of my big things is making sure that. People who... Uh-oh, sounds like somebody's phone. Uh-oh. Either that or we've been attacked and the nuclear war is starting and uh, Indianapolis just got it first, which means Chicago's right around the corner. Anyway, until she comes back, Denise, what about you? When when you are doing your creative, and you do you you both write and you're an artist, um, are you thinking in terms of, you know, compensation, the economics of it, or are you are you really interested in generating good stories or what have you, and seeing what the market looks at afterwards? Um, and definitely the latter. Very rarely do I think about. Um, how much, uh, like, the money aspect-wise of it. Because to me, I, I'm a real creative because I just do it because I love doing it. So if someone happens to like my writing when I post it up, that's awesome. That's great. If they don't, it's, I just focus more of, hey, I'm having fun doing this. If someone else likes it, that's really awesome. So every maybe after I'm done, I'll think about it, but never, like, really beforehand do I, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and, you know, capitalize on this or anything like that. That has really ever crossed my mind when I create anything, so. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I, no, I, I, don't mean, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to sound like that. I didn't mean it like that, like the way it sounded. It's just um, because uh, at its at its essence, be, being a creative is is kind of like the essence of being an entrepreneur, you know, because because then you have, you know, you you have what you're creating. You would like, I would, I think all of us would love to have lots of people enjoy our work, and and you know the extension of that is if lots of people enjoy our work, we will get compensated for that. Um, and somebody says some people create for the intrinsic value. Yeah, then they ought to be writing. Uh, they ought to be writing uh, like a diary. That's what that is. When people create for intrinsic value and don't give a damn about the market, they're writing a diary. You heard it from <laughs> me. Somebody had to say it. I'll say it. But but um, like it is a difficult thing because you can't really be sitting there going oh, well, this word will pay me so much, and oh, if I use this word, people will love the book more or love the story more or whatever. I mean, obviously you want, you know, you're, you're trying to create good art, whether it's writing, whether it's art, art, drawing, comic book, what have you. But I, I mean, 
at the end of the day, and I hate using that, oh, my God, I just said that phrase. Um, When you get down to it, I, I think we all create for other people. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I'm back. Yeah, I, I can agree with that, yeah. And and if other people like what we do, then then there's benefit to it. You know, there's you know mm-hmm. we will we will we will make money or we will we will achieve fame or we will write three quarters of a million words of a trilogy and not make ten thousand dollars yet and then write a business plan and get paid a hundred thousand for that. So yeah, that's just um, my issue. I think, I think at the end of the day, as a creative, you know, the money is, is fine. You know, you're always going to, I mean, obviously, you know, people on this phone are not, like, going to struggle if they don't sell a million copies of their book. Um, right. But at the end of the day, I think when you're writing, you're writing to influence and you're writing to make a difference. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, money's great, yeah, fame fabulous, you know, but I think when I'm writing, I'm writing because I enjoy doing it. Um, I think it, it's something that's in you. It helps you live, makes you feel better to do it. But it's also, I think, when you get it out there to the people and they and they respond to it, you know, that's also, you know, a reward in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I love it. I love it when people are like, well, what did you be when you did this? And why didn't, and what about that? And, and how did you come up with it? You know, those things, the back and forth, and, and you know that people are actually ingesting what you put out. I think that's the thrill. You know, the mm-hmm. money, maybe it'll come, maybe it won't. But, you know, b- being able to do it, I think, is, is enough. Well, I mean, if we, look at, if we look at art traditionally and storytelling traditionally, remember, not too long ago, you know, storytellers were really at the top of the, you know, the, the the economic food chain because, you know, storytellers would travel and go from place to place to place and they would tell their stories and they would be fed, they would be housed and and they would hear other stories and, and so they would they would circulate culture. Um I here this is just a kind of a, a trivia thing, but um back in Roman times well, do you know where the the term news came from, you guys? No, nope. I do not. No. Okay, well, here's the custom. Back in Roman times, when you met another traveler, maybe crossing a road, you know, going in a different direction than you, there was an obligation for you to tell that traveler a little bit about where you came from, what was going on, and things like that, so that that that, that news would be circulated further and wider because, you know, obviously they didn't have, um, you know, the kinds of uh, means of doing that today. And the word news actually came from from the uh, directions on a compass, north, east, west, and south. And if you were going one way and someone was going another way, you know, north or whatever, you, you, you would be obligated to tell them about where you came from, about your your village, your, you know, what you had heard. And so that was, that was, that's the entomology of the word news. And it came from the um, cardinal or ordinal points of the, the compass. And so we, we are kind of, we're in the same vein as storytellers. And that, that is 
I mean, that's huge because what we're doing is we're, we're giving people ideas and stories that they never would have gotten otherwise. And so there should be value to that. And usually there is value to that. If you tell good stories, you know, they, they get passed on. And, yeah, I would, love, <clears throat> I would love to see maybe my books in every high school in America um, because it talks about our, uh, issues that have to do with whatever or it's a good story or what have you. But, in, you know, in the back of my mind and not so far back, I would still like to be very successful with my writing for no other reason than if it could free me from getting viruses off of stupid people's computers and I could just sit there and write and be able to sustain myself with my writing, that to me is like the pinnacle of, of the creativity and what it, what it can mean to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. Because I think all of us have pretty much day jobs or, you know, day job kind of things Rather than, I, I mean, do, are any of the four of you lucky enough to just live off your writing yet? <laughs> well, I wish. <laughs> exactly. But, and and neither, neither can I. But, but wouldn't that be ideal? Like, Denise, wouldn't you love to just be able to write and, and draw? You know, all day long. Yes, I would love that. And to be able to do that. And and not have to worry about oh man I gotta go do this stupid thing so that I can pay my bills. So so there I, I think that even as storytellers, not so buried back in the back. Yeah, we want to tell good stories. Yeah, we want to craft good stories. Yeah, we want to have great characters. Yeah, we want to you know blah, blah, you know all of these really highfalutin like college like things or whatever. And and yet the the ideal would be to have other people recognize our work in in sufficient manner that our work could pay for us to do more of our work. Right. So so I mean does does that revolve in in your consciousness you know in any of for the four of you I mean I I'm guessing all of you would love to be able to create and and make enough money from your creation so that you you could just create more, correct? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Definitely. yeah definitely. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, but still, it's work. Um, you know, you can write no. this thing, and that's the joy of it. The joy of it is writing. <clears throat> you know. Right. But if you really want to make money off of it, you know, you, you know, Tom Joyner calls himself the hardest working man in radio for a reason. It's a lot of work to you know write a book, market the book. You know, go on tour with the book, get in, get on these, you know, shows to promote the book. You know, that's still doing something other than writing. You mm-hmm. know, so to me, it's like you know, six eggs in one bag, half a dozen in the other. You know, I could have a a paycheck job, quote unquote, and write in my spare time, and you know, mm-hmm. put it out there. Or, you know, I can really put my, you know, my engine behind my writing and, and do those other things. Because to me, it's still the same thing. You know, I got to get out of my bed. <laughs> I got to, you know, do the makeup and hair, you know, get the clothes. All of, all of those things that go along with having a job is still, you know, if you, if you want your writing to be your breadwinner, it's a job, too. Yeah, but, I, okay, you know, excuse me for putting it this way, but this is exactly how it is for me. You know, when I'm sitting here writing, when I'm sitting here working on a book, I don't even have to have pants on. 
and you talk okay. about your hair. You know, I don't have to worry about if I'm having a good hair day or a bad hair day. I mean, it's kind of like the ultimate freedom, you know, until you have to get to the business of exactly doing business. Exactly. And then, you know, if you have a publicist, they're going to send you out and they have to be they have to be on TV or, you know, you have to, like me, I have to, uh, I don't know, whatever I have to do to look good on TV. I think basically <laughs> they, can't, they can't Photoshop my ass on TV, which is really, really what's been keeping me off of there. Um, but, but you're right. Yes, there, there's the business aspect of being a creative, but then the creative part. I mean, when, at, at some point, I mean, we don't see Stephen King doing, you know, infomercials late at night. He doesn't have to do any commercials anymore, you know. And and if you get to be, to that point, um, it I I think to me that would be the most liberating part of being a creative, where where I could create, the checks come in, and I could go out or not if I chose, or I could stay home and create. So I mean that that's just what I'm shooting for. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but I think Stephen King paid his dues. You know, Stephen King didn't wake up Stephen King. You know, Stephen King no, no. everything no. that I'm talking about. You know, he had to bust his hump. Him, Charlene Harris, and Rice, you know, somebody the other day, was, uh, I saw a post. I, you know, when she first saw um, uh, interviewing a, interview of a vampire in the $1 bin before it was like a movie. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point, yeah, you do want to, and that's with any career. You do want to get to the point where you can, quote, unquote, retire. But until then, you're going to be working. It ain't going to be, I'm just going to write this thing and it's going to sell like hotcakes. You know, for a while, it's going to be work, real work. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, 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 that is the hardest part is being able to raise yourself, raise your visibility high enough so that you can get the attention that at least gets the people to know who you are. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about the gender difference in the business of doing business. Have any of you run into the the situation where you may have been de- dealing with someone in your business creative part of you where you thought that you were getting treated differently than maybe than maybe I would be? being a man and being, excuse me, a writer? Um, I wouldn't say that I've, I've actually encountered anything explicit. Um, but I, it does kind of annoy me when, you know, I say, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And, you know, the first response I get is, oh, is it a romance? No, no, it's not. Oh, God, yeah. That's so annoying. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the extent of it as, as I have, you know, uh, encountered it. But, I mean, I, I don't see anything particularly special about me being an author. It's just more surprise, like, oh, you're doing that? That's nice. You either get some of the the patronizing sort of oh that's nice like you're a five year old and like hey look at your sister or or you get the oh so you're writing a moment no or oh you're gonna write the next Twilight right oh god no <laughs> oh god no not that <laughs> you know or, or something to that effect you know it's 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 not taken seriously but I mean that's just sort of like 
I think that's just, you know, people in general. Like, I, I mean, it's not just in that respect that I get that sort of response. You know, when people discover I study biology or that, you know, I have my own, you know, form of spirituality, science aside, yes. Yes, I'm a scientist. Yes, I have my own beliefs that I keep those to myself. And, yes, I'm writing a book and you don't have to take me seriously or you can just go on about your way. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> but I do make sure that, you know, whatever I put forward is my best foot forward because, yeah, you don't want to give nobody no excuse. Well, you know. and the other thing is, you know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And yes, and you're right. There, there, there is a, there, there is a uh, a gender expectation out there for women doing certain things. You know, obviously that you know, assuming that you're doing a romance novel or something like that, then you tell them, well, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a horror book or I'm doing sci-fi, or and then people look at you and and I've actually watched other women authors say that. I've been watching, you know, they'll say something, and then I'll watch the eyes of the person they're talking to kind of glaze over as they try to wrap their heads around something that was completely different. And and you want to say to them, well, who the hell do you think wrote all those damn books? You know, they right. weren't all written by, they weren't all written by men. All the sci-fi books weren't written by men. And there's a whole bunch of men out there lying their asses off using women's names writing romance novels. Yeah, they are. And it wasn't... Um, they, are, yeah, they, they have a completely different flavor. You could always pick the males out. <laughs> yeah, it isn't uh-huh. like one of the, 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 the first sci-fi writers, Mary Shelley, wasn't she, yeah. you know, the one that wrote Frankenstein? I mean, yes, she yeah. did. There, there's a, an image of a sci-fi writer as being like a guy that looks like Stephen King hunched over a computer and and I think people got that in their head, like there can't be any other type of writer, like a little nerdy guy. And right. they really count out females of all different types of ethnicities out of the picture. I, you know, I was thinking about um, kind of like a a, a female sci-fi writer. Um, I think it was. I don't know if it was Anne McCaffrey. Maybe it was. I think she she was like in a couple pictures in the back of her book with her smoking a pipe. Mm-hmm. And so people went, oh, she's a crazy sci-fi writer. She Maybe she wants to be a guy or something like that. And and, and people are, hell, people are stupid. Um, I'll give my quick explanation, but you know that, that, that uh, bell-shaped curve of IQ distribution you know, top dead center is 100, and that's average, which means that half of that curve, half of the people out there are of subnormal IQ. And so, you know, when you deal, when you have to deal with people like that, I, you know, it, it's got to get tedious. You know, I don't, I never have anybody question that I'm a writer or why I'm a writer or that I write speculative fiction or that I write sci-fi. I have never, ever, ever had any measure of disbelief. Nobody patted me on the head and said, oh, that's really good, son. That's cute. That's uh, you know, or, you know, like they they would a woman. So th- there's still perceptions out there that are hard to overcome, or or at least you know the boundaries are now kind of broadening. You know, you you have uh, I would say right now almost as many women writing in the Afrofuturism genre as there are men. And that's kind of unusual. Um, when, you, when you take black people 
and you can see that that kind of di- dichotomy there. And there are you you have so many um, women authors and men authors, you know, kind of making this movement. Um, when you guys think about um, like where you might be if if your writing catches on are we are we looking at the same kinds of things that we talked about a few minutes ago about you know having the freedom to create more um if it gives you that you know that kind of freedom that kind of financial freedom um do you do you think your creativity will take a hit do you think it'll increase i mean what happens when you're freed of having to pay the bills you know how does that how does that affect how you go about creating, any of you? Well, I I think um, making a career like uh, out of writing is the end goal for most writers, and being able to support yourself from your artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't think it would. I think you would have more time to think and create. You'll have more. I mean, you'd be able to travel more, experience more things, and might open up your creativity a little bit better than having to worry about paying bills and this and that and having, like Rashida was speaking about, getting dressed and working and all this stuff. Uh, it give your brain more time to explore different, uh, but, you know, ideas. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Yeah, I think it's just, um, if, if I really get to the point where I want to be, you know, books, TV, film, of course, you know, to me, it's just about allowing others to do the same thing, um, giving more people access, giving, you know, jobs to people that wouldn't have a job otherwise. Um, you know, that's really because I don't, honestly, I don't have, I've lived the life that I've always wanted to live. And so right now it's just about trying to build something for the future, trying to build something and have something for my son and for others as well. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in t- today, there really is no vehicle. There's no, you know, there's, there's you, everybody seems to have to start from bootstraps up. Um, and so I definitely want to be a part of, you know, creating a vehicle or a way for, you know, young, you know, black ladies, young ladies to, you know, okay, this is where you enter and, you know, this is how you get your career to, you know, go the way you want it to go. Um, whereas, you know, right now everybody's kind of wild, wild west, huh? <laughs> and, you know, you know, you kind of have to, you really have to struggle mm-hmm. through it mm-hmm. pretty much on your own uh, for the most part, for the most part, you know. But uh, hopefully, you know, if I get to where I really want to be, you know, I'll be, you know, just another vehicle, like, say, for example, Shonda Rhimes or, you know, Tyler Perry. You know, they give jobs to people who wouldn't have jobs otherwise. Right. And and so you see it kind of almost like um, for you it's uh, maybe a social movement, or Definitely. or that would be the result. Yeah. Um, let me ask you guys this: uh, we got about a half an hour to go, but um, I'll start with you, Kenyatta. How did you find BSFS? Uh, well, I accidentally um, stumbled onto a writer's group chat that happened. Uh, every now and then on BSFS, it's hosted by uh, TC, uh, Thanking Caveman on BSFS. I just happened to stumble into it one day because I found it on Twitter. And from there, I met William and TC and several other people who happened to be hanging out that day. And 
that's in. They led me to the website, and that's how I got here. And 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 I'm going to ask all of you this because it, it's kind of a unique community. But what what does it mean to you being a member here? Uh, I think it's I think it's really really cool because it's really nice to have other well other uh, African American folks actually you know go hey I do that too and not having to get these blank looks like what is that. And why would you be interested? Or, you know, if I have a, a writing issue or a writing problem, you know, I can go to somebody who's been at it longer than me and go, hey, this is what I'm having an issue with. Or, hey, I've got this idea and does it sound completely ridiculous? Or does this sound like a good idea to go with? So it's nice to have a, a, a group of people that I can go to with ideas and complaints or, or even just topics and not have to spend half of my time explaining why this is a thing. It's just, you know, I can put it out there and they go, oh, yeah, I, I got you. Or even better, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you know, I know about that thing. Let me get you this. Or go check out this or go look at this or try this. And and what about you, Tanise? Um, I definitely, I think I was actually Googling, Googling like, black science fiction or something to that degree because I was looking up something and they were talking about Milestone and they were talking about something else and then they kind of dropped a link for, you know, BSFS, and I was like, whoa, what is this? I've never seen this before, and I clicked it, and I immediately, I immediately had to sign up, like, that day, because it was so, like, interesting, and it was the first time I've ever seen anything like that, so I just, I just found it by straight up Googling, and by accident, I just kind of stumbled upon it, and then I just, I've been around ever since, so. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's it been for you? What's it been like being a member of that, this community? It's been really inspiring, actually. I've seen so many cool things and so many people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm writing this thing or I'm drawing this thing and let me post on my artwork and let me post up my little thing in progress. I've seen, I've been able to talk to some really creative people about their different projects and everything. And it's just, it's really inspiring to get me to, like, work on my own thing and try and collaborate with other people as well. So it's just been a, all around kind of a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Rashida, how did you find it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I actually I joined um, Black Science Fiction Society quite a while ago, um, and I didn't come back to it until I, I published uh, American Spectre. And um, Jarvis asked me to do a radio interview with you, um, and I did. At that time, I didn't even know there was a radio show. Um, and so when I did the interview, and then I and then. I uh, saw all the you know, wonderful people in Black Science Fiction Society. Uh, that's kind of when I became more involved with what was going on. And I'm sorry, how did you find it, though? Do you remember how you stumbled uh, upon the site? I think I probably just Googled it at some point, uh, Black Science Fiction, and found it that way. Because it was, it, was, it was like 2007, six, a long time ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and then um, I, I think I sent in a request to have my my book uh, reviewed by the site, and that's when Jarvis asked me if I would do an interview. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Ellen, what about you? How did you uh, find the I, site? I, I was on a, a book uh, site uh, searching for black science fiction books, and I came across this awesome author named William Hayashi. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Then, wait, wait, you, you found yeah, me? I told you the story. Yes, of course. And then I went to your website from there. Um, and you had some links to CSFS. 
um, to, I guess, get some samples of reading the book. And that's how I found you guys from Virgin's Discovery. And 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 what it, you know, I don't want to I don't want to talk about me because that's a whole another show. But I mean, what what was the what was being here like for you? I, well, it kind of opened up a new world to me because um, before I only knew there like, are Octavia a lot Butler. Of about. Yeah, and and the community. I mean, I, first of all, you ladies talk to each other all the time. You're in chat. You go to mm-hmm. hangouts together. You guys hang together a lot. Um, how important is it? I mean, the fact that you have a number of um, female contemporaries to to hang out with online. Oh yeah, uh-huh. always always fun. It's always awesome. fun. It's, it's really nice yeah. to have other females to uh, talk about it with. Nothing you know, nothing wrong with hanging out, having fun, enjoying music or anything. But it's just nice sometimes to come in and walk into BSFS and have a conversation going, and everybody's in on it. And you know, having female voices there in some of the discussions we have because everybody walks in with a different perspective. There's always something new to take away from a conversation. So I always you, enjoy that. And, and do you guys feel diminished at all because of your gender? Or is um, it a very, a very egalitarian, very welcoming kind of place in what, what traditionally for like five decades was a male-dominated um, um, collective? Right, but I think in a, within our community, it's it's not really gender based. I mean, we're all writers of color coming together, trying to help each other, uplift each other, and meet the goal of exposing the rest of the world to black science fiction. I'm I'm sorry, I was still blown away that somebody found me and then found the site because of me. I, uh... <laughs> Um okay so let, let's talk about let's talk about empowering women because you know there's a lot of there's there's all kinds of issues not so much of them for writers you know I don't think that women make women writers make 73 cents for every dollar a male writer makes but do you guys see do, do you see any hurdles based upon your gender you know, in um, in in this in in this creative endeavor. Um, I could see being getting a publisher might be an issue depending on how you decide to sign your books. Um, because you know, again, that whole women belong in romance thing has cropped up again. You know, because I don't know, you know, because for some some publishers are very much on the numbers. And so even if, you know, it takes years for them to kind of catch up to that. So they're kind of immediately going, if they see a woman's name on it and it's not in the romance section, they may be leery about giving it a chance on the shelf. So if you want to go as far as the publishing route or a traditional publishing route, then you might have a much harder time getting into to the business, especially outside of the genres that women are usually relegated to. Um, in terms of having a rear audience, I mean... That's just something that I think every author has to kind of put up with. Um, 
But I think the only other thing that you we might have to come across are the weird stalkers that, you know, come up with all the fun, witty stuff to say to you and then wonder why you were giving them a side eye. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying that uh, even uh, places where black science fiction writers hang out, you still have the, the, oh, the vast... Oh, yes, the... you do. <laughs> Well, don't name any names, okay, because, you know, this would be a podcast up for a long time. But um, Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I'm I, well aware. What about the rest of you? I mean, do you, do you see, do, do you see the, more of a gender equality, you know, at least in this, um, in, in this community, in this uh, social network? Did I ask the whole question or not? <laughs> I think it's a very hard question to answer. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, never mind. Hey, some some people actually, there's a question here. Um, well, let's see. Uh, JC asks uh, Holbrook, who is normally in South Africa, but she's in Colorado. I hope she's enjoying some of that legal weed there, if that's something she likes, because apparently... <laughs> But she she asks where you know where do you get your science from for for their fiction and and Kenyatta you're you're you know you're a biologist you mentioned that um, that that you do your own research what about the other three of you that's a that's a pretty good question I mean do you research the sci- do you research science for your writing um, Denise oh yeah definitely if it calls for it I definitely start looking up things if if I'm trying to be absolutely correct I do do a lot of research and I just I read lots of books that also pertain to it. So if it, I do happen to be writing science fiction or even fantasy, I even do some research for it. That's always how I start things off, basically. So I do mm-hmm. lots of, like, just reading up on things, just to make sure that, hey, I'm making sure I'm getting this right so you guys don't come out like, hey, you're wrong about that. So <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I definitely do some research and just, you know, look into it. Yeah. And, Rashida, you're you're kind of in the horror genre. So for you, I would guess that consistency matters, but I mean, do, what kind of research do you do as yours for, for the, the kinds of things you write? Um, you know, I, I will research, like, say, if there's any type of physical things that are going on, um, like, say, if somebody uh, right now has to research it, how, how do people recover from hypothermia? Um, so the, those types of things, like, I'll try to do that type of research. Um, but mm-hmm. really, most I'm, I'm one of those science fiction writers that aren't very light on the science part of things. Okay. Side of things. Yeah. Uh, it's more fantasy, you know, paranormal, um, and horror magic kind of stuff. Yeah. What about you, Ellen? Uh, um, the same as uh, Rashida. Mine's just mostly not like a scientific base, more paranormal. Um, mm-hmm. I guess futuristic, you know, space, space opera type of things. Um, so right. with the research with that, I guess I'll kind of look at, um, I guess, some so- different, like, stories, like ghost stories and things, and research. Right. Uh, more like a historical type of researching on the area and certain things like that. Okay. Um Somebody here asked, uh, when I'm doing scientific research, where do I research? And if I do want to talk to a scientist, how do you go about finding someone? Um, I- I'll tell you a quick story. I in in my first book, there's a space. There's a there's a. I do something with a space shuttle 
which is unusual. And when I was doing my research, I first looked at Wikipedia, I looked at NASA, I looked at places like that. And then finally, I called down to NASA and said I needed some information, and they connected me to the head research librarian um, in Houston. And she was a very nice lady, and I don't remember her name right now. And I said, hey, I have an idea that I'm putting in my book. This is my idea. And she, she listened to it and apparently was writing it down, and she was really excited. And she said, okay, I'll call you back tomorrow or the next day. And I said, really? Are, you know, do you have a library down there? She said, no, 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 I'm going to ask the engineers. Which, like, that was so cool. You know? and, and she called me back and she said, man, they were kind of excited because they, they, they had thought of it, but they'd never thought of it. But the fact that you're putting in a book was really cool. So, yes, this could happen. So, and then if I want to talk to a scientist, there's a bunch of them at Fermian in, um, in Batavia. And since some of them have read the book, I've got a couple names. So I can call somebody out there and go, okay, I need someone who can give me the best information on string theory. So sometimes just picking up the phone is, you know, if you can't find it online or you don't understand it online, sometimes just picking up the phone and calling someplace like that. Oh, universities are good for that if you can catch the right person, you know, hey. So and and you know professors are patient because they normally are teachers and usually they can give you some information. So um, because I am a hard science guy in my science and and military, same thing for military. Although I did make up something military in discovery and got visited by two secret service guys because they thought that somebody had told me something I shouldn't have known. So some stuff I guess, but if I guess it, it's got to be plausible. You know, I I I don't want to go. Oh, and then he put on his James Bond uh, jetpack and he went from New York to London. You know, something ridiculous like that. Um, so uh, let's see what else. Things are scrolling past here quick. Oh, one, um, one of the, the guys there uh, wanted to know, it, 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 yeah, one of the guys there wanted to know, how hard is it for the four of you to write male characters? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, William? Uh, yes. Oh, I was gonna say. Uh, I was gonna say to the other question. Um, sometimes, yeah, just hitting universities and hitting um, the departmental website. Uh, hello. Right. Okay. Um, sometimes hitting the departmental websites are good. Um, just hitting like the biology or chemistry or physics websites for colleges are really good because you can get people's names. And nine out of ten, you can actually get the numbers for the labs. And for the PIs of those labs, who that's what they spend their lives doing. And I can tell you from personal experience, scientists love talking about their science. You ask them a question they can answer, they will talk to you all day. So, like William <laughs> said, picking up the phone or sending an email, we're pretty approachable folks. I mean, I hang out on Twitter like, hey, you know, I'll answer any question. It might take me a minute to find it, but I'll answer it. Um, so you can always do that. Um, in the chat, Google Scholar, Google Scholar is a good one. If you can't find it, um, you can either, you know, I'll, I'll leave my information. I can find it for you because usually schools have uh, access to the papers and things. So if there's things you want and can't get, I'm almost sure you can probably get someone to send it to you. And as um, writing male characters, I'm a little, I'm a little intimidated sometimes by writing male characters because I definitely don't want to write them wrong. But, uh, but usually I start with just treating them as human and hoping for the best. <laughs> What about you, Denise? How do you how do you write your male characters? Um, I I agree. I just kind of hope for the best because 
I, I try and play it up and not do a lot of like stereotypes and everything. So a lot of my male characters not might not be what a stereotypical male might be or how they're supposed to act. But I'm like, if it don't if you don't like it, oh well. But at the same time, I don't really have trouble with them. But I don't really. I wish I wrote with them more. So it's just it's iffy. <laughs> it's iffy. I'll say that. Rashida. Uh, yeah, I I try to limit the amount of time I spend writing male characters for the same reason. Um, I just, you know, because as, as old as I am, I still don't quite understand men. And so what I'll do is I'll try to, try to convey the character through their actions um, okay. without deep delving into how they feel about <laughs> it, you know, what they think about it. This is just what they're doing you know, um, and this is how it relates to the main character. Uh, so mm-hmm. maybe I'm treating them a little bit like women are being treated in most male novels, but that's that's the only way I can really do it and be authentic because I, to this day yeah. I, still, I still have trouble trying to understand what what motivates the, the male species. We're we're very we're very basic people. We're pretty direct too. Um, Ellen, what about you? Um, no, I don't really have a difficulty with male characters. I just, um, like to have male feedback on, uh, if I'm doing them right. Same um, here. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I really, I, I enjoy writing male characters. I enjoy like, uh, you know, exploring a different side of, you know, myself psychologically trying to figure the, you know, the character out. Uh, but I don't think I'm too, um, uh, far off. Uh, and getting male characters down. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you still have that, you know, and kind of, like, I think it was Kenyatta was saying, you got kind of want to see if you're doing it right. You don't want to embarrass yourself too much. And then um, people, like, it, it throws them out of the story. Yeah. Yeah. There, There is a line that I find pretty useful that might work for you guys. I mean, I don't need it myself because I am male, mostly. Um but the line goes, if you, if you don't understand men, uh, then you're trying too hard. <laughs> I don't think that's I, you know, really true. I think I well, think wait, it's not, men I, are I basic, William? Yeah, men, I, I don't think men are basic. I think men are complicated. I think, that's, really? I, think men, I think men trying to be basic is what makes them complicated. You know, men don't tell you how they feel. <laughs> They'll do something, and you gotta try to wrap your head around why they did it. <laughs> and that's just been my experience. So that's why I'll I will give them an action, but I don't try to explain it ever. I, I try to just make this is what they're doing, and it helps her or it doesn't help her, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so rather than than creating a three dimensional character, you you're your character's reactions to your primary character, who is a female, is is how you convey the personality. Yeah, and I still think they're three-dimensional. It's just that I'm not trying to make them women, you know. I think I can yeah. write a woman and, you know, this is what she's thinking, this is how she's feeling, this is why she's doing it. And it, it mm-hmm. makes sense because I'm a woman. Right. But if right. I try to do that for a man, it's going to be, no, men don't think that way. Men are like that, but yeah, men will do that. But don't try to explain well, why. That's 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 yeah. where you get in trouble. Well, you know there are some men. Oh, go ahead. 
I'm sorry? That's why I said I pretty much go for treat them as human, and then we'll talk. Because usually, because, like, I, I always kind of get annoyed because everywhere you go, the definition of what a male behavior is changes. Because, I mean, you go over Europe and men kiss each other all the time. In America, people start asking you questions. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just, well, that's just what it is. So, for me, it's treat them as human. So, you know, every man is a man's man. Every woman is a woman's woman. So just treat the character as a character themselves and then, you know, let them be what they are. Wow. Well, since uh, three of the, well, let's see. Do you, have you guys read, um, like, sci-fi, spec fiction, whatever, um, written by men who get women right? Hmm. Besides me. Besides me. <laughs> Besides William? No, not really. Yeah. No. Oh. Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head, No. I, I so, think I so, have one because I didn't really have a problem with it. I think, right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I think, there, there's been so much money made from, you know, supposedly the, what is it, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, people people accentuating the differences, like there's some mysticism about it. But but i think i think rashida's right where when you talk about how people are relating with each other you mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to worry about putting in gender specifics or as they say hanging a lantern on them you know to to highlight them um if you talk about how people relate together it would seem to be because we all have experiences we all have experiences where we've dealt with the opposite sex we've dealt with the same sex where we've dealt with the the other new things that have just been uh, codified by the uh, Supreme Court. So I would imagine that, at least for me, looking at the people around me made it much, much easier for me to write characters who were not my gender. Um, and, and I think writers have a tendency to pay more attention to the people around them because they, they do seek out inspiration. Do, when you guys create characters, do you integrate people you know into your character constructs? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, those little quests and habits just pop up, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Oh, well, it works. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Uh, but, yeah, I kind of actually rely on that too much because I definitely don't want a character to just be a person I know. But, yes, you will see little habits. And as much as I try to avoid it, I see some of my own habits come out from time to time, depending on the type of character that I'm writing. But I see a little bit of my sister and some of my more headstrong characters. I see some mm-hmm. of my mom, you know, some of my mom and the characters that like to fret all the time or, or that are, you know, you know, worrisome or, you know. I mean, I, I see, I see, you know, when I see humor, I see my brother. You know, so it, it, it's the little things that come out about the people that you know because you have a feeling for that and for yourself, but I just try not to make a habit. Well, I mean, that, not to interrupt, but that, may, that begs the question, um, you know, the, the conventional wisdom and even writing classes will teach you that if you're an author and you write a short story or you write a novel, that all the characters are parts of you because it's very difficult for most people 
to get out of their own heads to try to figure out, you know, a three-dimensional construct of another personality. Um, do you guys think it's that hard? I don't think it's that hard because we have so many examples around us. Um, this, the, I mean, these examples, they, they must obviously help, right? Yeah, but as a creator, I mean, each of your character does carry a little part of you in them. I mean, doesn't mean they have to be exactly like you, but they have no, some, that's you true. know, you know, as a human, they have some of your similar elements to them. Mhm. Well, uh, let's see. We got a few minutes to go. About seven, eight minutes to go. <laughs> if anybody has any questions in the chat room, go ahead, type them in. But um, let's let's start with you, Ellen. Uh, is there anything that, I mean, what's the most significant thing that you've learned? being a creative, you know, about your art, about your, about your craft, um, what, what do you think makes you the best at what you, you know, the best you can be as a creative? Um, as a creative, you have to admit that you don't know everything and there's always more to learn, especially the business side of writing. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's always more to learn about the business side. There's always, like, new formulas for crafting stories and, you know, the basic fundamentals. Um, and then you're always learning about yourself and expanding your um, your own knowledge, which helps you uh, world build, especially when you're dealing with sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And Rashida, what about you? Um... Repeat the question for me, please. Uh, I think it was, you know, in, in terms of being a creative, what, what is the most important thing that you've learned as a creative? Patience. I think that's, patience? Um, yeah, that's the number one and most important thing, to be very patient with myself, with people that I work with, um, the, the whole process. Um, just knowing that you know it's it's about just taking taking the time getting getting it right, um, mm-hmm. and understanding that you know people you're working with are human. Uh, mistakes can be made, will be made. You just you know you fix them and you recover and you move forward and you just be very patient mm-hmm. with how how things progress. Okay, and Denise, what? Um, Rashida said or Ellen said just be patient but also be open to criticism and just you know feedback in general because a lot of the time they're just people are just trying to help you become a better artist and be better at your craft and don't be afraid to make mistakes and just you know try things out differently try different things because you never know it might you know it might help it might you know give you new ideas and give you a different perspective of how to do things basically so just don't be afraid to try new things And, and what about you Kenyatta um, for me, it's definitely learn to take criticism because people are trying to help you be a better writer, and to trust and to trust your own skills. I think, um, because I think one of the biggest I know one of the biggest challenges I have is just putting out there what I have and not necessarily nitpicking over every every little detail, but you know, just letting the story tell itself. Mhm. And, and there, there is one. That, more. Oh, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. And just trust that, you know, you, you can tell that story, is all I was going to say. Yeah. And there is one more question from the uh, chat room, and it, it is, what famous author's book do you wish you had written and why? Kenyatta, mm-hmm. let's start with you real quick. Okay. Oh, that's easy. Um, I would have rewritten the Harry Potter book simply because um, there were some relationships that I felt like 
she could have really explored that she really didn't. Okay. And, and Janice, uh, what famous author's book do you wish you had written and why? Um, the first one that came to mind was Brave Story by Miyuki Miyabe. Like, it just, it's something about growing up in childhood in that story that I wish I had written or I wish I had written so it could be turned into some show because it was into a movie. Like, that's the first thing that came to mind. I was like, man, I wish I wrote Brave Story. So that's mine. Mm-hmm. Rashida? Um... I don't know. I honestly don't know. I I, I admire a lot of writers. Um, I think maybe one of the stories that impressed me the most was written by B.C. Andrews. I don't necessarily think I would want to write that, but I think that she just had a way of writing that was um, different and completely unique and all her own. Um, but she would be the one that I kind of, I, I, I admire the most. Right. And, and Ellen, what about you? What famous author's book do you wish you had written, and, and why is that? Um, I honestly can't really think of a book. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe it would be awesome to have written Dune by Frank Herbert. <laughs> I mean, that would be mm-hmm. the author of that. I mean, I just like the world. That's feels, cool. Everything about it. Um, yeah, probably yeah, dealing with something terrible. Yeah, I mean, talk about world building, you know? Right. That was that was pretty amazing. Um, for me, I I uh, I don't know if the the guy's name. Well, I I would have liked to have written the Botanica Encyclopedia. Um. And because that would mean that I knew a lot more than I know now. And and that's partially cynical, but it's also partially right. I mean, my I like my writing to have a lot of things in it. I want it to be rich. I want it to be full. I want it to also include things that other people might not have thought about or didn't know. So, uh, but if I, if I were to be really honest, I would have loved to have written Snow Crash by uh, Stevenson, I think it is. Yeah, Neil. Or was it Gibson? I forget. I would have to look it up. Um, somebody else can look it up. Uh, you know, we're we're about two minutes before the end of the show, and uh, Jarvis couldn't be with us last year or last week. And what I want to uh, do is have him come in, and uh, if if they'll be here, so that he could take us out of the show. And then, of course, you know, after we stop the recording, hang on, guys, just in case anybody has any last-minute stuff. Yeah, it was Neil Stevenson. Um, so, uh, I don't know if Jarvis is downstairs getting a sandwich or, or what he's doing, but normally, um, I want to remind everybody that this show starts every Friday or most every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Those are two hours. It's, I think it's the best interview show on the internet and, and not because I have anything to do with it, but because it, it gives the people who we interview more than eight minutes to talk about what they do. Um, I've done some radio shows. I've done some TV shows, you know, for my writing. And, you know, the most you get is eight, maybe ten minutes to try to convey to people what you are, you know, and it's hard to do more than that. And I guess, well, Jarvis is not – oh, there he is. You there? Hello. Yes. You want to take us out? Oh, um, you know, with me, it's just um, I want to – 
send a sincere thanks out to everyone involved in this, whether you're uh, on the show or just tuning in, um, because it's really appreciated. Um, and something that was uh, stated several times was that um, this site is a place that I haven't seen before where other people like me um, congregate. And we want to... Um, that that really touches me because that's the the main purpose of this to pull together people of like mind to to work together to develop black science fiction and so I want to thank everybody involved in this and to continue to um support what we're doing uh come on the site tell people about what we're doing share the site with others and so it can continue to grow and we can continue to do more and more so like I said, I just really want to thank everyone for participating, and especially the ladies. <clears throat> we always want to make sure that we are holding ourselves accountable for uh, the material that we're doing and making sure that we represent our women in a positive light because a lot of times that um, in sci-fi and in television, period, black women don't get the um, the credit that they're due and also are portrayed in negative roles. And I'm really tired of that. So you ladies doing your thing is awesome. Keep doing what you're doing and we'll keep putting out and sharing what you're doing. So on that note, I want to thank all of you, Kenyatta, Denise, Rashida, Ellen. Um, thank you for, for, for coming on. And I hope I didn't talk too much. Somebody there thought I was talking too much. <laughs> but they can get their own. They, they can get they can get their own show. But thank you, ladies, very much for for participating, and uh, we'll see you around the site. And for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast and have not joined BlackScienceFictionSociety.com, why don't you join? Sign up. Look at the content we have. Look at the people we have. It is probably one of the most unique sites on the internet. Um, so uh, on behalf of Jarvis, everybody, ladies, I would like to wish everybody a good evening and thank you for. Uh, thank everybody for coming. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.